In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Our tradition tells a story of the beginning of time, a story about a place where there is peace and harmony and order, a place that is green and lush and abundant, a place that is calm, a place where everything is as it should be. We call it the garden. We call it Eden. We call it paradise. And the story is supposed to remind us of a couple of really important things. First is what God originally intended for us, that life in the garden would be ordered and healthy and safe and happy and joyful and calm, that everyone would have what they needed because it was all growing, that people would live in good relationship with God and with everyone else around us and with all of creation that we would care for the things and the people entrusted to us and that we would sort of figure out how to live in joy, abundantly. We're intended to see in that image, in that story of the beginning of time, God's intention for us to live whole, healthy, meaningful lives, connected to God, to each other, and to all of creation. And the other thing we're intended to take from that story is our sort of inability to do that, to claim that, to protect the peace that God wishes to give us. In Adam and Eve, we're not supposed to see just one particular person, but actually big categories of people, the every man, the every woman. In Adam and Eve, in their choices, we're intended to see ourselves and our inability to accept the gift that God wants to give us, the gift of peace the gift of abundance, the gift of right relationship. Paradise is lost because Adam and Eve have this human urge to be something more, to have something more. They want to know as much as God. They want to be in control. They want to be in charge of their own destinies. They want to be equal, even, with God. And paradise is lost because of those urges for power and authority. Paradise is lost because of the human need to sort of control everything and say that we are self-made and we depend on ourselves instead of living in right relationship and acknowledging that it is God who is in control and who asks only for our trust and our love. Paradise is lost because we, as human beings, have this fundamental urge to not accept the gift God wants to give us to not live in right relationship, and instead to sort of distort the life that we share with God and the life that we share together. This image is really important this morning because it's the background of the text that we have in Isaiah. When Isaiah sings this love song about the vineyard, what he's doing is hearkening back to that image of the garden at the beginning of time, to that that story that teaches us about what God wants for us and about our sort of inability to grasp it and hold it and keep it and protect it. In the story from Isaiah this morning, God has dug a vineyard on a fertile hill and done everything possible to make the vineyard successful, to make the vineyard grow beautiful, big, luscious grapes that they will turn into lovely wine. God has dug around it to keep it safe, given it a hedge, built a watchtower in the middle, hewn out a vat, 
to make it productive, successful. God's given everything to this vineyard, and the vineyard, of course, is Israel. And this story comes sort of in the context of all of salvation history, which if we look back at Hebrew scriptures is the, the falling away again and again of the people of Israel from God. But God is consistent, and God is persistent, and God continues to send prophets and kings and judges and teachers like Isaiah to call Israel back to right relationship so that they might rebuild what they lost in the garden, so that they might, if they follow the law, if they choose God's path instead of their own, they might recreate the peace and the abundance that we give up in the garden when we choose not to be with God, when we choose our own desires over God's will for us. And God is angry in this story from Isaiah because God feels like God has done all the things that could possibly make this vineyard successful. And still, Israel falls away. And that is the repeating story over and over throughout our Hebrew scriptures, that for a little while, Israel tries to follow the law, and they try to do the right things, and they live in right relationship with God and with each other. They learn to love their neighbor and welcome the stranger, and they learn to take care of all of creation around them. And they do that for a little while, and then, because they're human, because none of us are perfect, they fall away, and God gets angry again and leaves them in exile for a little while, and then God sort of softens, and they sort of get it right again, and they patch it up and try again, and then they fall away again. And this is the story of thousands of years of history, of God trying to bring Israel back to paradise, and through Israel, to bring the whole world back into paradise back into that peace and that abundance and into a place of right relationship where we recognize that we are all connected and all beloved of God. And so after thousands of years of this pattern, God decides to do, to do something new. And what God does is send Jesus, who is the incarnate image of the law, who doesn't just tell people what to do, he actually lives it, and he shows us how to love and how to follow the law and that ultimately what he says and lives is that if we boil the law down, it comes down to two very specific commandments, that we love God with all of who we are, with all of what we have, with our hearts and souls and minds and strength, and that we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus lives this. Throughout his whole life and his active ministry, all we see him do is sort of go out and reach for the people who have been left out, to heal the sick, to love the people no one else wants to love. He grants equal status in his movement to women and men, to people who are different, to people who come from different places and speak different languages and have different ethnicities. He creates a different kind of society within his movement. And in so doing, he guides the feet of those people into the way of peace which is something we pray for all the time, something we wish each other in worship all the time, the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. But the truth is, it doesn't go terribly well for him, does it? And that's sort of what he's nodding at in the gospel. While we talk about peace, what he's very clear to say is that if you follow him well, if you walk the path with him, if you try to be a child of the light and to live the way that he does, 
then what you might find in the short run is more division than unity. What you might find in the short run is more resistance than accolade. Because sometimes when we choose to follow him, it means that we have to choose the law, which is love, instead of the story around us, instead of the urges within us, instead of the status quo of the world that we've sort of built around us. And in the gospel, he says some hard things about how he has come to bring fire and division. And he highlights for you that that division is going to come in a place where you should feel safe, with people that you should trust and love most. That sometimes if you choose him, and you choose your faith, and you choose to live the way he wants us to live in the world, that even the people who love you most will not understand. And all of us have been in situations in our lives like that, surely, where you decide to do what you think is the right thing, or you decide to speak up for something, and the vitriol around you rises pretty quickly. Because what you're doing is challenging the other story, the other story that dismantles peace and doesn't honor the fact that everyone is our neighbor. On Sunday morning, we gather here, and our Presbyterian brothers and sisters gather over there, and what we have in common is that we, we gather for worship for a couple of reasons. The worship looks a little different, but we're, we're essentially saying the same thing. We gather to worship because it reminds us of right relationship. It reminds us that we are beloved of God, but that God is driving the ship. It reminds us that we matter, but that we are not in control. And it gives us the opportunity to trust and to reach and to grow and to say thank you, to settle into our place our spot to do our particular work and to understand how we fit into the much bigger picture. In the middle of our service, we offer each other the peace, that tricky peace word. And you may generally know the people who sit around you when you offer the peace. You may generally sort of feel comfortable with these people, but the reason that we do that in the midst of worship is because it's supposed to remind you that you offer peace to everyone who's around you, because everyone is your neighbor. And in other places, that might be more challenging than it is here on Sunday morning. That means you offer peace to the people who are different from you, and the people who have different views than you, and the people who look different from you, and even the people that you struggle to love most. And then after we've done that, we come to the table and we receive communion, all of us together, next to each other, and we receive the same thing in equal measure, the same grace equally, which we haven't earned, and frankly, none of us deserve, and it's freely given of God's love, equally, to everyone, to us and to all of our neighbors. And we do that on Sunday morning, really primarily for two reasons. First, because it, it realigns all our relationships. It reminds us of our place. It reminds us that God is in control and that we need to trust. It reminds us of our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our connection to the people around us. And it reminds us that everyone deserves the same. Which means the other reason we do it is to challenge us. So that the space that we create here and the fellowship that we create here is something we take with us and try to build out in the world, in our own little corner of the vineyard, in our own little spot in the garden, our own little square mile of the kingdom. We're supposed to take the peace 
and the connection that we share here out into the world to dig it of stones, to clear it of weeds, and to start growing those grapes that God was trying to grow originally. The other important thing about that love song in Isaiah is that what God is trying to grow is wine, essentially. He's trying to grow big, beautiful, luscious grapes that will be turned into wine. And for us, we think, okay, wine, that's nice. It's a it's a nice thing that goes with our meal, it's a luxury, it's a, it's a lovely thing. But in the ancient world, wine was the stuff of life. It was about survival. Because there was no safe, consistent access to clean water. People didn't have water. And the only thing that was really safe to drink on a regular basis, to, to be hydrated and stay alive, was wine. So God's not trying to grow grapes in order to sort of accompany a nice meal. God is trying to grow the stuff of life within the people of Israel who are called to be a light to the nations and within us. God is trying to grow the stuff of life. And the reason that God is so angry is that sour grapes at best, wild grapes at best, are sour and useless. At worst, they're poisonous, and they dismantle life. They destroy life. If you made wine with those grapes, you would kill anyone who drank it, rather than save them, rather than give them life. And so God is angry, because God has done all these things for the vineyard, to grow the stuff of life, to sustain the life of the entire world. And instead of choosing the law, and instead of choosing to love each other and welcome the stranger and be kind to our neighbor, we continue to focus on ourselves and to grow the wild grapes that are sour and useless at best. The invitation of these texts this morning is to be aware in our own lives and in our society, in the places where we are decidedly not in paradise, to look at the wild grapes that we are growing, to notice the places where the sour notes are stronger than the sweet ones, where we are handing out more of the stuff of death than the stuff of life. When I look around the world, it's easy for me to see those places. And admittedly, there are places in my own life where the sour notes are more present as well. The invitation of these texts is to take that seriously, and especially to consider how connected we are to each other. All of these texts are about living in right relationship. And the promise is that if we do that, God will help us rebuild that peace and paradise. That there are too many places where we are failing to do that. Particularly in a world where we have to rule in a court that children deserve to be healthy and sleep well. We have forgotten that we are connected to each other. We have forgotten that we are responsible for each other. We have forgotten that each one of us is intended to come to the altar and receive what we have not earned and do not deserve. And yet, of God's mercy and of God's love, we all receive standing next to each other in equal measure. The invitation of these texts is to look in your own life and in the world and society around us that we have built for the wild grapes, 
for the sour notes in which we share the stuff of death, in which we dismantle peace and love and kindness, rather than share with each other the stuff of life, the wine that God longs to give everyone, the communion that God longs for us to share, the peace and abundance that we were always intended to have from the very beginning of time that is built on our understanding that we belong to God and to each other and that everyone deserves the same. So I invite you this morning to take a hard look at these texts. They're tough texts, particularly the gospel, which promises that when we do the right things, sometimes we will upset the people around us. And consider the places in your own life and in your own corner of the garden where you are growing the stuff of life and where you are not. And when you come to this altar this morning, take another look around at the people who are here and the people who are not here. And consider how we, with God's help, can grow the stuff of life that will grow this entire community and give wine to the people who need it. Amen. Please stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven.